Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to be uh, look at Matthew chapter 18. For context's sake, I'm going to begin in verse 1, but the verses we're going to cover are verses 10 through 14, one section of scripture you're familiar with, um, the parable of the lost sheep. Beginning in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling, a, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to uh, enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see their face, the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go into search of the one that went astray? If he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than, other, the, more, more than over the ninety-nine that went astray. Um, so it is not that the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask that you would help us to be conformed to the image of your Son, Lord. Not just in word, but in deed, Lord. We pray that you would just um, speak into our lives in such a way, Lord, that it would change us today. That we wouldn't remain the same. We need your Spirit to come and do that for us this morning. So we invite you to come and speak directly into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Only hours before Kim Haskins High School graduation, an auto accident took the life of her father and, and left Kim and her mother hospitalized. The next day, Joe Garrett, Kim's high school principal, visited her at the hospital and said that they wanted to do something special for her at the school. The Gazette in Colorado Springs was written, the article was written by James Drew, described the outpouring of love and support as the teachers, administrators, and classmates, deeply touched by Kim's loss, filled the high school auditorium a few days later at a, gradu a graduation ceremony just for her. Principal Garrett said, we talk a lot in education about no child left behind. In the military, we talk about no soldier left behind today this is about no graduate left behind. And I would say in our text this morning, this is about no Christian left behind. The title of my message is The Value of One. You know, value is a relative term. It, it, you've heard it said that, that it's, something is only worth 
as much as someone will pay for it, right? That's the true valuator of something, not what we think it might be worth, but, but what somebody will actually pay. That becomes the valuator. When Sonia and I were uh, moving to Tennessee in 2007, we decided to, we were going to sell our house, and um, so we, we, we prayed and asked the Lord, well, what, how do you want us to do that? You know, do we sell it ourselves, and what would be the number? So he gives me a number. He gave us a number, the specific number that we were going to sell our house for. And so like any good steward would do, we called a realtor and we asked them to come over and, and take a look. And we hadn't determined yet what we were going to do if we were going to try and sell it our, ourselves or, or, you know, engage a realtor. And so we had a guy come over and check out our house and he walked through it and everything was, you know, it looks great and all that. And, you know, so we sit down at the table and he's about ready to give us a valuation. Now, you know how valuations work on houses. So they just take the the, the common houses that are around the area are kind of similar like houses, and then they determine a value based on what they sold for, what your house was sold for. Well, it just so happened that at this time, the, the housing values in Florida started to plummet because the, the bubble had burst. It was right at that point. So there was a shift in the market. Housing values were dropping drastically. And I, I think, honestly, the guy didn't even know what to say. So he shot us a number, and I said, well, no, that's not... <laughs> wait, that's not the right number because the Lord told me that it was this. He kind of laughed at me and he thought, oh, oh, there's no way. There's no way you're going to get that. And, and so my wife and I decided, well, let's just see what the Lord will do. And so we listed it by ourselves, you know, for sale by owner or whatever. And uh, we had it in, uh, the, I think, the paper. We put a for sale by owner kind of little ad in the paper. And uh, we didn't get any, we had an open house. And only one person came. And they were in a situation where they were, you know, kind of, I can't remember what it's called when the, when the, the government needs to take your land because they're going to uh, build a road through it. There's a, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. Um, but but it, where, where it's just better for everybody to take your property so they do it. But they pay you for it. So eminent domain is what it's called. And um, so they were in that situation. So who knows? They were trying to fight it and all this kind of stuff. They're the only people that showed up at our open house. The only people that ever talked to us even about, you know, interested in our house. We never had another single person. So a couple weeks go by, and the next thing you know, they're like, hey, we want to make an offer on your house. And guess what? We end up selling it to the, one, the only people that came to our, our open house, the only people that inquired about our house for the exact amount that the Lord told us that we were going to sell our house for. And, and my point is this, that, you know what? The value of something is only worth what somebody will pay for it. Sometimes they'll pay more. Sometimes they'll pay less. I think you get the idea of where I'm going with this. Uh, you know, God cherishes us so much. And he loves us so much that he would be willing to pay an incredible price for you. The value of your life, the value of just one life in this place is unbelievable. It is worth Jesus' life. But God would have sent his son for one person. He would have sent Jesus Christ into this world for one person and one person only. It's amazing how much God loves us. That is the value of one. It's found in how much God would pay for it. That is the valuation that God has given. Now, it's a valuation far greater than I would give. Far greater than I would give. 
As I read the scripture and it says that only few will respond to the gospel. Only few will come to Christ. Only few will lay down their lives for the Lord in the way that he laid down his life to be sacrificial, to receive the gift that God had given us through his son. Only a few. To send your son into the world for a few. But the many, they would reject him. They would treat him horribly. They would blaspheme him. They would brutalize him. They would reject him. Now as a father, think about this. God knew that. As a father, even if I didn't have that foreknowledge, I wouldn't value that you to that level. I love you. <laughs> I do, but, but I have three sons, and I wouldn't trade any of them for the life of one in my selfishness and who I am. That speaks of the great love that God has for us and that he would give his son as a sin offering for us. That is the value that he has placed upon your life this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking you don't have any value. Well, God says you do. God says you have great value. And he loves you and he wants you to understand that this morning. Your life is worth his son's life. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he, he values you. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has been declaring the value that God has placed upon our lives. And in verses 10 through 14, we find the measure of that value. God measures the value for us so that we can understand what it looks like. Now, Matthew 18, you have to understand from from, from chapter or from verse 1 all the way through verse 18 or verse 20 is all one singular thought. In context, everything that he's saying there is how we're supposed to treat each other in the church. You remember it started out by them asking a question, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Okay, let me explain how the kingdom works, guys, because you don't understand it. Let me explain how you're supposed to relate to one another. He begins to tell them about they need to become like a child. Now, he still has this child with him. This child that he had called to himself, that had responded to his voice. He's there. He's the illustration. And he tells them first and foremost to even get in the kingdom. You must become like that, like children. And again, we talked about all that. You can go back and listen to the messages. There's two messages so far in this, in this um, set of scriptures. But as he continues to dialogue with the disciples, he's speaking to his disciples. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking about how the world should treat us or how we should treat the world. He's talking about inside the box of the church, inside these walls, how we're supposed to treat each other. How we're supposed to treat each other. Not to divide. Not to despise, he even says. Not to think of yourself greater than someone else, but to build them up. Jesus is declaring to us the value that God has placed on our lives. So much so that he said, man, it would be better for you if you were to cause one of these little ones to, to sin, to tie a, a millstone, a 400-pound uh, stone around your neck and just drop it off the side of a boat and just bloop and die. It would be better for you to do that. Now, I don't want to drown. I don't like drowning. I don't like the thought of drowning, uh, but Jesus said it would be better for me if I were to cause uh, the, 
you know, if I were to cause a, a sinner of one of these little ones to sin, than to die that way. He's talking about how we're supposed to interact with each other. And he measures the value this morning. He gives us a measurement of what that value is in three different ways. First, he shows us God's total care for us. Secondly, his relentless pursuit for us. And finally, his good and perfect will for us. Let's take a look at our value to God as demonstrated by his total care for us. In verse 10 there, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in, in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Um, that word there, see that you, it's that phrase, see that you, it, it could be translated, I tell you. You know, when Jesus says something like, see that you, or, or, or I tell you, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, whatever your version says, you want to listen up to what he's saying. He's saying, listen up. What I'm about to say is super critical. It's incredibly important, so listen up. See that you. Again, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to believers here. That you do not despise these little ones. These little ones being Christians, being spiritual children of the Lord. But it also applies to physical children. I think that word, the way that, the way that it is written here, it applies to physical children, you know, below the age of accountability, and it also applies to spiritual children. So he's talking about both of them there. See that you do not despise one of these. Now, that's an interesting phrase. In the Greek, it's kataphroneo, and, and it means to consider the object of little value, to look down on, to despise, to scorn, to treat with contempt, to have no respect or value for one of these little ones. Jesus is saying, uh, don't devalue that which God values. Don't devalue that which God values. Remember, in this day and age, in the cultural setting where Jesus was speaking, children had no value. They were just to be seen and not heard. They were, they really had no, they had no, they didn't have any respect for children during this time. They didn't really care about children. They were just there. And that Jesus had a problem with that. He had a major issue with that. That bothered him. He's saying, you're devaluing something that my father values tremendously. His spiritual children as well as his physical children. He values them, you know, so greatly that you and I should consider how much we value each other. That's what he's saying. You need to consider, listen up. You better consider how much you value one of these little ones, how much you value each other. Because I'm going to explain to you that I value them greatly is what he's saying. It reminds me of a, a story I heard about D.L. Moody. He was in Denver in 1892 doing an evangelistic campaign. And, and uh, he was out, he was, uh, there was a little boy there that wanted to get in and see Moody. He was the son of a, a minister, a Methodist minister, and he wanted to hear Moody speak, but the auditorium was completely jam-packed full. There was no way that he could get in. He tried every door, looked everywhere. There was no way. So he goes around the back. And he thinks, I'm going to get in there. Now that's faith. Because this place is packed. There's no place to sit. Now there's one guy in the back of this auditorium. And he's sitting on a box or something. And, and he sees the kid come around. And he, 
And he looks at him, he goes, what are you, what are you doing back here? Well, the little boy said, his name is Paul, I'm trying to get inside because I want to hear Mr. Moody preach. And he said, well, why do you want to hear uh, Mr. Moody preach? And he said, well, because Mr. Moody's the greatest preacher in America, and I want to hear him preach. And so the, the guy just tickled with the, 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 the response by this little boy named Paul, says, you know what, listen to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you in there. So you just grab, oh, grab uh, my coattails, and as I work my way through the crowd, do not let go. But you hold on for dear life to my coattails, and I'm going to get you a seat. And so the man makes his way into the sanctuary, and he makes his way up the auditorium, and he continues right onto the platform. This little boy has got his coattails, and he just continues right up with him, and they have some seating on the platform. And so he sits down in the second row next to the man. There was an extra seat there. And the, the, um, the, the spokesperson or the guy, that the introducer or whatever, comes up to the podium and he says, okay, Mr. Moody is now going to speak. And the man that he had, that little boy had um, followed up onto the podium stood up and he walked into the pulpit. And he said, you see this little boy over here? His name's Paul. And I want Paul to be here this morning. Paul wants to be here this morning. And, and you know what? I had him follow me right up here and I gave him this seat because I value him. And he said to him, Paul, you become the best, best little boy in America because of the, you know, he had told him, you're the best preacher in America. He said, you become the best little boy in America, Paul. Moody demonstrated what Jesus was talking about right here. He's saying, place that kind of value on a little one, a little spiritual child, but also a physical child. That's the kind of value that God has for you. Now, check this out. We don't understand the impact of that. This little boy named Paul, whose last name is Raider, maybe that rings a bell to you, Paul Raider, became not only one of America's little, best little boys, but he became one of America's best evangelist preachers in the 20th century. He followed Moody's footsteps. He became the president of, of um, the Moody, Moody Bible Institute, this little boy was so influenced by that one act of kindness and love that, that it, it so impacted his life that he followed Moody. And he continued to follow him. And, and he was the very first radio preacher in America, Paul Rader. God used him tremendously. And he blessed his ministry tremendously. What would have happened if Moody would have said, no, little boy, you stay out here doesn't count God out, but he would have missed out. Just like Mordecai Ham would have missed out if he would have said, Billy Graham, you're not important to me. You, I don't have anything to say to you, little boy, but I want to speak to some more mature people. He's talking about how we interact with Christians, spiritual children, whether as immature as they might be, how we interact with them and also with those physical little ones. Do not despise, he says, one of these ones. And let me tell you, they will give you a reason to. They will give you a reason to, be, to, to despise them, I promise you. But don't do it, Jesus says. He goes on to tell us, for I tell you, they're angels. Whoa, 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 what? Angels? Jesus is talking about angels that are, 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 are apparently 
watching over these little ones. They're these ministering spirits who are sent to watch over these spiritual children and, I believe, physical children. Uh, you've heard of guardian angels. Well, I, this is where that, that idea, part of that idea comes from right here. Now, again, I don't know that God has assigned us, you know, I got Gabriel and you got whatever. I don't have Gabriel, really, but um, some no-name guys who I got. But um, anyway, uh, you don't really have, a, a, I don't know that you have a, an assigned angel, but, but it says angels, plural. I like the idea that I got more than one watching over me. No, I figured, hey, a third of the angels fell at the, you know, when Satan left um, heaven, when God cast him out of heaven. So I figured there's at least two watching over me, you know, there's at least a couple looking down that are watching over. There's angels, plural. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us a little bit about this. He says, and to which of the angels had ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve, listen, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Well, that's you and I. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that God is sending ministering spirits, angels, into the world to minister to those who would inherit salvation. That's you and I. But Jesus is saying, oh, hold on a second. Let me explain what's happening in the spiritual realm when you start to despise one of these little ones. There's these angels that are standing on guard, looking at the Father's eye, waiting for him to command them because they are submissive to his will, longing to be engaged in your warfare, but waiting and looking to the Father always. They're in his, they're always their gaze is always towards him. Their face is set towards the Father always, no, you know, while they're watching over you. They're waiting for him to give the command that they might engage in your in your warfare. God values you that much. He values you that much that he would, send, that he would have his angels in heaven uh, not just serving, you know, each other little grapes on, you know, big chubby little guys with, you know, grapes feeding each other or anything. That's not happening. They're too busy watching over us. And did you, you ever read that scripture, you know, Hebrews chapter 13, where it talks about um, we, 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 you know, there are, you're going to entertain angels, you know, and, uh, you know, just the idea that we have these angels here and looking over us and, you know, no doubt they're entertained. <laughs> I have to think that, you know, I entertain them by my actions all the time. They're, they look down and they're like, oh my, what is he doing? I'm entertaining them. And I look back up and you too can now. You Are you not entertained? You know, you can do the Russell Crowe thing and, and gladiator. That's not what the verse means, but I like to, you know what I mean? He, he's telling us that there are angels that are watching over us. And he is telling us that, that 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 helps us understand the value of what God, or the value that God has placed upon our lives. He values you and I so much that he has angels watching over these little ones. Now, our value to God is demonstrated by his total care for us. Secondly, by his relentless pursuit of us. Verse 12, Jesus says, what do you think? What do you think? He's not asking for their opinion. It's a phrase that they used in this time, a teacher would use, a rabbi would use, to, to, to help the listener begin to think critically. I want you to put your thinking cap on. I want you to engage your intellect right now because what I'm going to say, it's going to require you to think about it for a minute. So what do you think? 
engage with me for a second. Let me say something to you that is going to engage, that's going to cause you, it might throw you off to the side. So pay attention to what I'm about to say. He says, if, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go into the search of the one that went astray? He truly find, if he, And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. What do you think? Well, I don't think that sounds cool. I don't think that the way that should work is that way. I think the way that that should work is God should rejoice over the 99 and not the one because we're faithful. But because the 99 are the faithful ones, but the one, he's not faithful. Why, would, why is he rejoicing? I don't understand. They're Christians. Both sets of people are Christians in this parable. He's not talking about the lost. This is not the same account that's found in Luke chapter 15. These are two separate uh, parables that Jesus is talking about. In Luke chapter 15, you can look it up later, he's speaking specifically about the lost. He's talking about those who aren't in Christ yet, those who are lost. Here he's talking about the saved. He's talking about those who are saved and how God looks at them when one of those little ones goes astray. So he says, what do you think? Now just because I, I have to do this, verse 11 does anybody have a verse 11 in their Bible? You might have a verse 11, depending on the version that you have. Verse 11 um, says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, that doesn't, that's not in my translation, because, the, the, again, going back to the way the Bible was translated, there's two sets of original scriptures, original, um, not original, but I mean, the, the oldest manuscripts that they have, there's two sets of, 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 of those that they use. One's called the majority text, one is called the, the critical text. My Bible's translated out of the critical text, meaning if it wasn't found, in, it's not based on how, the volume of where the verse was found, but it's based on the date. This is based on, the way the BSV is translated, is based on um, the, the earliest places where these things are found. Now, it would be footnoted. It's to say, hey, there's a verse 11 and some of the manuscripts, later manuscripts, it says, you know, this there, but maybe that was written in by a scribe or something. We don't know, but, but, but that's why we use the ESV because I like to know that stuff. But, and then I get to tell you. But um, either way, no matter what group of, um, of the original, um, you know, scrolls that you find or the original text that you look at, None of it changes anything. None of it changes the interpretation. It doesn't change the context or anything like that. Um, this, this particular verse is found in Luke chapter 19. In verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, or to, to save the lost. But because he's not talking about that, it doesn't really, doesn't really fit with there. And so we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Luke chapter 19, what all that means. But, but Jesus is, is declaring right here, in, this, in the parable of the lost sheep here, declaring the relentless pursuit for us. His relentless pursuit for us. And he, he likens us as sheep. Now, that's not a compliment to be likened like sheep. And I'm no 
I, don't, I've, I haven't really brushed up on my sheepology, but you know, what I do know is that they're not super smart. So that's an insult initially. When he says, hey, you're a sheep. Oh, you're not very smart. You're, you're, you know, sheep are the most helpless, defenseless, uh, stupid animals in the entire animal kingdom. They are prey for almost every animal. They have no way to defend themselves. They can't hoof. They, I mean, they, they have no teeth. They, I mean, they have teeth, but I mean, not, their bite's not going to hurt. They have no way to defend themselves. They can't run fast. You know, they're really helpless. They're really defenseless. And what's interesting is that they are a, an animal that needs to be flocked. They need to be in a flock. They need to be around each other. They need to be surrounded with one another. They were created that way. That, that, that they would not be set astray. But here's what's crazy is they also, they, they have this mentality so much that they're so much followers that they will follow you anywhere. So in 2013, um, there was a, a, some sheep on the, on, in the mountainous area in, I, in um, Turkey, and uh, they were just following each other because their shepherds decided to go have breakfast. And uh, they were following each other, and they fell, <laughs> They followed whoever was leading. I don't know what he was thinking, but he just went right off a cliff. It dropped 50 feet into a ravine and died, and then they just kept coming. You know, 1,100 of them just kept coming. You would think that they would have seen some, Wait, hey, a second. Where are they going? Did they? <laughs> wait, he says that we're like them. Wait, you know, we're like sheep. We're like sheep is what he says. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We're vulnerable and we're followers. And we need a shepherd. We need somebody to lead us. Here's the awesome thing about sheep though. They, they are individuals. There's all kinds of different sheep. You know, maybe I've got some pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen commando sheep out there on the um, you ever seen this guy? He, he, I don't know where, he, he might be in Iran or something, I'm not sure, but, and then we've got, uh, um, what, the, the next, what's the next slide there? Next slide, we got, this is hipster sheep, I don't, he, he's still coming along, and then ne the next one we have is the inked and pierced sheep, I don't, uh, you know, there, there's, there's lots of different kinds of sheep in, in the world, but the point is that God has made uh, sheep in many different size and colors. He has made all kinds of different sheep. Those represent us. All individual people. All whom God loves very much. Although we are individuals and we express ourselves in different ways, God loves us. Exactly who we are. We don't have to be like one another. We don't have to be cookie cutter Christians. We don't have to dress the same way. We don't have to talk the same way. We don't have to think the same way. But we do have to value each other, is what Jesus is saying here. You're like sheep. And he gives us this analogy here. The, the, the shepherd values the sheep greatly. He values them greatly. And we see that in this parable because he says there were 99 and one was lost. Well, in any industry, I don't care, in the manufacturing industry, you know, 1% loss is a pretty good loss. I mean, you, you're totally acceptable with that. 1%'s good. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. And in most other industries, you think, oh, yeah, 1%'s no big deal. 
You would expect that. You're going to lose something. Not Jesus. 1% isn't good enough. He doesn't want 1% loss. He values his sheep that much that he would seek out that, that lost one. Jesus is our, our good shepherd, John chapter 10 tells us. And here's what's interesting. John chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, let me just read it to you. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Um, he's speaking about the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the idea is that when you're a shepherd and you go into a town and you want to have lunch, you don't do what the guys in Iran or in Turkey did, and you leave them out on the field and then they all die. Um, you, you put them in a pen. And, and there's a guy that would sit in the, and he would be the gatekeeper. And the shepherd would put his, he would mix his sheep in with all the other sheep. But here's the thing is when it was time for them to leave, he would walk up to that gatekeeper and he'd say, hey, let me get my sheep. And you start to call them out by name. And they know his voice. So they just come. They would just come right out of that, that place there. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, and they, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the, the voice of strangers. The sheep hear his voice. They call him out. And in this parable, there's a hundred sheep, and, 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 and the shepherd knows his sheep. He's named them. He knows them all. And so he's looking, you know, he, he, he looks through the 99. Oh, there's... There's Dancer and Prancer and Donner and Vixen. And, and then there's, where's Larry? Larry! Larry's always doing this, man. Where is Larry? Larry's always, he seems, he's here, then he's not. I don't know, he has his own mind. He kind of does his own thing. I don't understand. Now, you can imagine what would start to happen in the 99. The shepherd is, is frantically looking for Larry. He can't find him. It's starting to get dark out. Maybe it's raining. And they start to murmur amongst each other. I don't know what he sees in that Larry guy. This guy is such a loser. He does this to him all the time. He's always wandering off and doing his own thing. He's always just... He, never, he can't just get in line and go. He's got to do his own thing. And he's always wandering off the path. And you know, I'm sick of him. I'm sick of Larry. I think we should just call him the black sheep. You know, let's, just, just, let's just leave him out to the side. Larry, Larry doesn't deserve to be here because he continues to wander. This is the picture. And I think this happens in the church a lot. I think when we see the one that begins to wander, and you can see it happen, can't you? You can start to see some, the frequency of fellowship becomes less and less. The joy becomes less and less. The exuberance for the Lord becomes less and less. One day they were like this. The next day they're like this. And you can start to see the transition happen. And I think the point is that when we see that, that we don't do this. That's what Jesus is saying. I, I value that one so much that I would go out and I would go find that. That one. Value that sheep so much that I would leave the 99. Not irresponsibly. It's not like Jesus left them. It's not like the shepherd just left them by themselves. That's not the point. 
The point is the value in the one. That's the point of the parable. And he says, man, I'm so grateful for this 99. I'm so grateful that they do what they're supposed to do. But man, this one, I love them as much as the faithful. Do you know that? Listen, there are Christians in this fellowship that have wandered, that have gone astray. And they're not here right now. And there are Christians in many other fellowships across this state and nation and world that have wandered outside of the sheepfold. And my question is, what do the sheep, what do the 99 think of that? What are you thinking about those people? Does it break your heart to watch that happen? Because it breaks God's heart to watch that happen. He knows so much more in detail what people are going through, and it breaks his heart tremendously to see the wandering one. And it should break our heart. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another that would break our heart, that we would be relentless for that person, just like God is, just like Jesus is. And when we find them, when we find that one that's, been, that's gone astray, we restore them with gentleness, like the Bible says in Galatians 6.1. Not with condemnation, not coming down on them, but loving them. What did Jesus say here in the parable? When the shepherd finds them, what does he do? Does he, does he uh, yell at them? Does he beat that one? Does he scold them sternly? See, I told you this was going to happen. Now I had to leave the 99 and we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Now I'm, in, I'm vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Larry, what are you doing? You don't get it. No, it's not what he does. He rejoices. He rejoices. The one that I lost, the one that was gone astray, now I have found. Here he is. Man, as a dad, I know what that feels like. You've heard the story before, but, but one time I left my son at home. And we were, um, it, well, it was his fault, I say. He, he went astray. I, that's, how, that's the way I look at it. But we were getting ready to go out to uh, dinner one, one night early. It was like 5 o'clock or something. My, my wife and I were taking two separate cars because we had something to do after that or whatever. We had to go two separate ways. And so we both jump in the cars and we take off and we meet at O'Charlie's up in the Spring Hill. And we're, we get in the, the little foyer area, you know, we're like, hey, hey, what are you doing here? No, I, we didn't. But we already knew we were going to meet each other there. But uh, we get in and we start to talk with one another. And, and all of a sudden, at the very same time, she looks at me, my wife and I look at each other. And we say, hey, where's Jude? And I'm like, hey, kids are your, that, that's your deal. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I said, well, I thought he was with you. She said, well, I thought he was with you. And all of a sudden, both of our hearts just sank. This sick to my stomach. I'm going to leave my family right now and go after that one. So I'm, I'm driving home, and you guys, you can imagine, the thoughts that go through your mind are just, I don't know why we're so sick, well, but you know, you start to think the worst, man. You're like, he probably, he probably heard the cars pulling out of the thing, and he started running after it, dad, dad, and he's crying, don't leave me, and he gets up on the main road, because we live kind of out in the country, and then all of a sudden, some, some perpetrator's out there, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to pick that boy up and he's going to put him in the car and he's going to say, you're going to become my son now. 
And I'm thinking, and he's probably up there scared. I don't know where he's going. And, and, I'm, and I'm, so I start driving like I normally drive, which is urgent all the time. So I get to my house, and I pull into my driveway, and I just throw the thing in park. I fly out the door, Jude, Jude, where are you? I'm flying in the house. I, I, if he was sitting right there, I would have probably just went right by him because I'm like hysteric, running through the house. Jude, where are you? I run upstairs. I look around. I don't see him. I run downstairs. Jude, Jude, where are you? I run outside. Jude, I am frantically searching for my son. And don't think that that's not what the shepherd is doing. And I, and I come back inside, and now I'm really, I am legitimately, legitimately worried at this point because I don't see him anywhere. Now I'm starting to think maybe he did do that. Maybe he did run up through the street. Maybe somebody did take him. And I come inside, and I look up the stairs, and there's my little boy, dude, with just crying and I said, oh, man, there you are. Now, I didn't run up to him and scold him. I didn't run up to him and give him the spanking. I didn't run up to him and discipline him because I, I was just grateful that he was okay. This is my son. I love my son. And I run up to him. And I'm like, where were you? Well, he went astray. He, had, he put headphones in his ears. And he went into his room, and he was watching something on his iPod. And before he knew it, we were all gone. And he goes, Dad, I came out, and I didn't see anybody. I came in the garage, and everybody was, and he was literally, he goes, man, I was, when you came in, I was curled up under the bed. I was afraid. I didn't know what was going on. He was defenseless. He's a little kid. He was seven years old. What a bad parent she is. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I can't believe that she did that. I, I almost called, you know, the, the people on her. But, but uh, man, it, you know, here's the thing. is Now, it's not ridiculous for me not to rejoice for my family. It's not ridiculous for me to say, well, but you guys were okay. But for the one that was lost, it's okay for me to rejoice over them you know, beyond what I would, how I think of them, because they were fine, they were okay. But this one was in trouble. This one was astray. And I found him, and when I found him, I rejoiced over him. That's what Jesus is saying. He loves us the same. I love my other sons and my daughter the same as I love Jude. I don't, but I found him. And they were already okay. That's what he's saying here. God loves each of us very, very much that he would relentlessly pursue us. And then he would rejoice over us when he finds us, even though we've gone astray, disobeyed him. Even though we've, we've said, I don't care what you want me to do, I'm doing my own thing. He loves you in those moments. That he would give his son for you. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died. That blows my mind. Our value to God is demonstrated by his total care for us, by his relentless pursuit for us, and lastly, by his good and perfect will for us. Look at verse 14. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, considering Jesus is talking to Christians here, spiritual children, along again with physical children as well, but, but, but it might cause you to seem that, that this scripture is a little strange here because you're thinking, okay, well, if he's talking about Christians, what is he talking about perishing? What does he mean? 
is it, what's the idea that God's will is not, not, God's will is not for any of those little ones to perish? What does that mean? I didn't think we could perish. You know, I, I thought once we were saved, we were saved. I thought the word justified mean just as if I hadn't sinned. I thought that I was good. So if I go astray, does that mean that I can lose my salvation? No, that's not what this is talking about at all. It's not what it's talking about at all. You were redeemed by the blood of Christ. You were justified by him. And that doesn't, that doesn't change because you're unfaithful. Jesus said, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The idea that he's talking about in this parable, verse 14 in Matthew chapter 18, the idea of the perishing is, it is not an eternal destruction, but it, is, um, it can mean that. That word can mean that, but in this context, it doesn't mean that. It can mean total and utter destruction. And that's what happens to somebody who doesn't, never receives Jesus Christ. They will perish. They will perish eternally. But for the believer, God is talking about this life, the present life, the perishing that will happen in this life. It says here that, I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 13 in the parable, it, it tells us there's a condition on them, on them not perishing, and that's if he finds them. If he finds them. He's speaking about the sheep and it's conditional upon not the shepherd, but upon the sheep. If they want to be found, they can be found. The shepherd will search high and low for them and if they want to be found, they, they'll be found. But if they don't want to be found, then, then they won't be. And Jesus says if they don't want to be found, then there is a, a, there is a a, a, a perishing that will happen on this earth. That, that a destruction that will happen to them. Paul talks about it a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember there was somebody in the church that was sleeping with their mom or whatever. Some, something weird like that. And he said, man, that's just such an abomination of sexual immorality that I can't even speak about it. Uh, when I get there, I'm going to deal with that. But, but in my spirit, I'm present there. So let me just, let me, let me tell you. What, what's going to happen? He, he says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 4, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction, the perishing of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, that he might deliver him to Satan for the destruction of of his flesh. This is a man who was struggling outwardly, but was redeemed inwardly. That's who Jesus is talking about in the parable. That's who Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This man had accepted Christ or whatever. He, he was redeemed, but he wasn't reliving redeemed, a redeemed life outwardly. At some point, he'd come into that place where he bowed his knee to Jesus, but at this point in time, he was astray. He left that, and he decided to pursue his own deal. 
And Paul says, well, deliver that one to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Let them pursue their sin. You want to pursue your sin? Then you go pursue your sin out there. A break in fellowship. You know, and that's church discipline. That's what he's talking about. When, when a person is unwilling to repent and they're not willing to change their actions and they're not willing to heed the word of the Lord, well, you can't let that exist in the church because it'll spread. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, so you have to say to that one, listen, we are all sinners stranded in sin, and Jesus is our Savior, and, and we are all want to be focused on, everybody in this place needs to be pursuing that relationship, and when you stop pursuing that relationship and you start distracting other people, you're no longer welcome, is what Paul was saying in the church. This is not a social club for people to, you know, air their opinions and, and their lifestyles or whatever. This is a place where people want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have to, Paul is saying, I want there to be a setting in, for that to happen so that people can have that. Because, listen, we tempt each other. We tempt each other. He goes on and he tells them, it's not God's will that you would do that. I don't want that. that. God doesn't want that to happen for you. But if you so choose to just continue on, then you know what? Satan is going to, he's going to just devour you. Don't think that a child of God that gone astray, that's living in the world, isn't going to get devoured by the enemy because he will. He has no way to defend himself. He's out of fellowship with God. He's out of fellowship with his, with his fellow brothers and sisters. He has no defense. And Satan will devour. And that's what he's good at. And God is saying, that's not what my will for you. I don't want you to experience that kind of destruction. I mean, it might be a drug overdose. It might be, you know, getting caught up in some pornography sting or something and next thing you know you're in jail or whatever whatever the perishing might be it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die but it's going to be a perishing there will be some destruction that will happen in your life because sin destroys not just you but everybody else around you it's damaging to everyone and it brings pain and anguish to eat your loved ones but Again, that condition in verse 13, if a person so chooses to be found, then that's exactly what will happen. The Lord will find you. The Father's will is that no one would perish. No one. Not even the unredeemed. He finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked, he says. God doesn't want his saints to perish, and he doesn't want those in the world to perish. That's why he sent Jesus. And again, our, our one response to that is, I'm yours. That's our response to what he's done for us. That's what he expects of you. Just to surrender. And you're going to trip up and you're going to fall. But it's that surrendered heart that God looks for. And he's not saying, man, you're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to be perfect and, and you're never going to have problems and when you come to Christ, all your, your life is going to align and you're going to, you're going to obtain the sinless perfection, you know. That's not going to happen. That's not reality. The inward man is, is being redeemed. It's, it's redeemed day by day as we grow in Christ. We grow stronger in the inner man. 
But the outer man is perishing. It is being destroyed day by day. Until one day we separate that inner man from that outer man and we are given that heavenly body where we no longer have that, that, um, that struggle with the, with the flesh. From the foundation of the world, God had orchestrated this plan, knowing that only a few would, would respond. I liken it to the story I read in the beginning. Kim Haskins. Tragedy. The response... We want to do something special for you. And that's what God did. In the Garden of Eden, when tragedy struck, when Adam and Eve fell, God said right there, he promised, he was thinking of you personally, and he promised a Savior for you. And he left, he, he, he's now waiting for the response of that. His son came, his son died, he stomps out Satan on your behalf, he he conquered sin and death on your behalf, and now he's waiting for the response. What will you do with that? He would do it for one. When Abraham was praying to God for the destruction of, you know, God was telling him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham knew that Lot was there. He prayed, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And, and after he had this dialogue with God, reducing the amount of righteous people, he would have done it for one. He would have done it for one. He would have stopped all that for one righteous. And he went and got Lot. He sent his angels in there to get him. And that's what he's about today, man. Those who want to be saved, those who want to, you know, get out of that, that difficult, the, the destruction that's happening in the world and want to leave that sin, God is there. And he's sending his, son, his angels to minister to us. There is value in one. It re this reveals the Father's love for us. And Jesus hopes that you too see the same value that the Father sees in one another. That you would see the value in each one that's here today. And that you'd be willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. Because that's what Jesus would do. And we're called to be like Jesus. As we close today, maybe you're here and, and you question your value I think God has made that crystal clear, that you are valuable to him, that he loves you. Don't let the enemy whisper into your, uh, into your ear today that anything different. God loves you right where you are. You might not love yourself, but God loves you. And he, he wants to rescue you. He's waiting for that childlike response that says, Daddy, here, pick me up. Help me out, Dad. He's longing for that. God values you, the one. He wants you to know that this morning. If you're astray today, God wants you to know that there's forgiveness. If you want to be found today, which if you're astray and you're here, then you do. And God knows. He's just saying, repent. Just turn to me. Again, the same expression. Daddy, here. I just want to be in your arms today, Lord. It's repentance. It's turning away from that lifestyle. It says, I don't care about that anymore. I want what you have. Will you pick me up? And he will, because he's faithful, and he loves you.
perhaps you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's available for you today. He's saying, come into relationship with me this morning. Bow your heart to me. Let all of, all of the sin and the condemnation that comes down from the law, let that all pass from you today and just come to me, he says. He wants to be in relationship with you. Again, it's a turning away from that lifestyle. It's a repentance and turning towards God. If he's calling you out today, then respond to him. Again, it's a simple thing. You cry out to him, Lord, my life isn't what it should be. It's not what you created it to be. But today I'm turning towards you and I'm leaving all that behind. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. That he rose again from the dead for me. And I'm receiving that today by faith. Change my life. When you pray that prayer, watch what happens. Watch what happens. The Bible says when we come to him in that manner, he makes us new people. We're no longer new people. When I came to Christ, my life radically changed. Many, many other people in this room could tell you the exact same thing. If that's you today, don't leave here the same. Don't leave here to turn to Jesus. For the rest of us, the 99, if you will, There's no doubt when we were going through this passage that somebody came to your mind. That somebody in the, the Spirit of God puts somebody in your mind, says, You know that person and you know who they are. And as we close today, I cry out for them today. Cry out for them. God, be with so and so today. I know that you put them on my heart today for a reason. They're astray from you, Lord. They need you, God. Don't be the murmuring one. That says they don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's not about our faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness. Cry out to them. Cry out for them today. And ask the Lord to intervene in their situation. And if you get an opportunity this week, reach out to that person. You know, so oftentimes we know what's happening, but we fail to say anything. We fail to reach out to that person. And then, and then you know what that says to them? They don't care. When you see somebody straying from the flock, you don't stand there and let it happen. You say, hey, where are you going? Right? It's what God wants us to do for one another. It's not just about accountability. It's about love. Because you love somebody, you'll keep them accountable. You hear me? Whoever God put on your heart this morning, pray for them. Ask God for opportunity to, to speak into their life this week. See, see if they have that heart that would be willing to turn towards the Lord. Maybe the time is now. You never know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for the opportunity once again to gather into your house, to open your word, and to hear the great love that you have for us, Lord. Each one of us, Lord, in this place has a response to your message this morning. Some of us today, Lord, are, have gone astray and we're coming back today. Lord, hear the cry. For those who this morning need a relationship with you, Lord, hear their cry. Hear them this morning, Lord. For, for the 99 that are here that are breaking for the one that's gone astray, Lord, help us this morning. To really just cry out for them. Lord, would you hear our voice this morning? 
We know you do. We cry out for those people that are astray from you, Lord. I think of specific people here today that were once here and now they're not. Would you help us to reach out to those people, Lord? Would you help us to extend that gracious hand that we've so graciously been given ourselves and to ask them, hey, where are you at? Father, we lift them up to you. As we close today, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be more like Jesus and that we would have more of him in our lives. We become more like him in character, in word, and in deed. Go before us and help us this week to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.